0: Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And RORAG is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Gubbins.
1: Our guest on the podcast today is Shannon Spate. Shannon is the CEO and co-founder of the Black Box Company, an innovative SARS, Software as a Solution product, solving big data problems in the livestock industry. Aside from Black Box, Shannon is a wife, mother, farmer and qualified vet. Shannon has an extensive experience across the beef industry, from beginning work as a jillaroo in Northern Territory to coordinating a large-scale beef genomics project. Shannon was the 2019 co-winner of the Xander MacDonald Award. She is passionate about the beef industry and innovation to make it more sustainable and productive and profitable. Welcome to the Raw Ag Podcast, Shannon.
0: Thank you, Tom. Pleasure to be here.
1: And whereabouts are you at the moment?
0: I'm um, up on our, on our little place up here in the far north Queensland on the Atherton Tablelands at the moment.
1: I wanted to get you on, just have a chat to you about some of the amazing things that you've done, um, being a qualified vet and particularly um, my interest in yours sort of collide a bit in genetics. And uh, I'd like to talk to you about your beef project that you um, coordinated in the north
0: yeah so i was the coordinator of the northern genomics project which was um a a project run by the queensland alliance of agriculture and food innovation so uh nicknamed coffee out of the university of oh, that's queensland
1: coffee that's a good one Co- <laughs>
0: You've got to shorten it somehow. Um, so yeah, it was it was a genomics project looking specifically at fertility traits um, and temperament within Northern Australian cattle. Uh, so it was a very large scale project. We were looking at thirty thousand heifers, um, and most importantly, those heifers weren't on research sites or within research herds for once. So it was all with commercial partners whether they be uh, stud cattle producers or, you know, um, just breeding operations within North Australia. So we worked with 54 different collaborators across Queensland, the Northern Territory, and Western Australia. And it was absolutely incredible. So my my job basically involved a lot of the data collection, so ovarian scanning and pregnancy testing those animals. Um, as well as coordinating when I couldn't get to those sites and making sure we were collecting all that data and then at the end of the day feeding back the results that we found, whether they be poll results or uh, breed composition results or most recently genomic breeding values. So with that project, we were looking at three traits specifically, the first being puberty, uh basically the age and the weight of of puberty and that varied pretty, pretty pretty drastically across the north um across breeds but also within breeds it was really really diverse so
1: what's important about second, sorry what's important sorry? about puberty and how much did it vary <laughs>
0: Yeah, so puberty, I guess, in in North Australia, um, in particularly uh, poor areas, like we do do suffer from poor nutrition generally. And um, so a lot of people are looking to breed their cattle as like a two-year-old joiner. Um, And some people with more select genetics are able to do those as yearling joiners. Um, And then other people are, are kind of waiting for their animals to be three to four years old before they start cycling um so that's fairly incredible that's uh, a lot of time that you have to hold animals over for that you have to feed them for have to try and put on weight gains and then especially when we have quite high cow mortality rates in north australia you might be looking at something that produces its first calf when it's five and then dies when it's eight um and probably only gives you one other calf in between and that's that's not very productive at all um and from a sustainability and environmental standpoint, that that's an animal that's emitting greenhouse gases without, with you know, emitting methane, without uh, producing much in the way of a usable protein at the end of the day.
1: So that reduces um, methane yield. Is that that's what um, by producing more product from the same amount of methane emitted.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So definitely with that environmental slant on things, it's about um, one aspect is looking at reducing methane emissions and then the other is increasing productivity.
1: Yeah, well, um, productivity and good environmental management go hand in hand, don't they? In, 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 in this particular case with methane production, the more you produce, the, the, um, the, the better the stats are on um, your methane yield
0: yeah absolutely and and so the second trait goes uh corresponds quite nicely with puberty we were looking at the ability for a heifer to fall pregnant for the second time while still lactating so that is also um quite uh, not many cattle have have a positive trait for that in north australia a lot of people miss that second calf as a heifer um and I think the average from what we saw was kind of like a 17% pregnancy positive pregnancy rate out of heifers that were joined for the second time. Um, so that's obviously a pretty big indicator for lifetime productivity um, and, and fertility, um, which obviously corresponds to that production. And then the, the third trait we were looking at was temperament. Um, Another thing that we tend to struggle with in cattle in the north, um, you know, a lot of these animals don't get regularly handled, might only see or be in the yards once or twice a year. Um, And so making sure that they have the innate genetics for calm temperament and calm cattle management goes hand in hand with things like cattle welfare.
1: So how are you recording that? Were you crush scoring or flight timing?
0: Uh, so we
1: uh,
0: actually adopted what it. Yeah, and what yeah are-
1: so we – sorry? No, <laughs> so, no, you go. I was just going to um, – because both of those things probably need some explanation to the listeners too.
0: Well, how about you You explain those and then I'll, I'll explain well, the, the way we adopted it.
1: The crush score is a score from one to five, one being really quiet and almost like a show animal. You can touch it and virtually and uh, it just strolls out of the crush after you've um, – Kept it in there for a minute, Um, and five is dangerous. It's an animal that would actually attack you, and two, uh, three, and four are are the fractions in between those two.
0: Yep, and and then flight time is is more of a
1: uh, speed, a direct measurement. Yeah, so we've had to we've had to recently change from. Crush score to flight time because we weren't getting enough genetic variation in the crush score. We were getting too many twos, um, and so yeah. we, when you look at when you look at the distribution of that across uh, across the herd or the nucleus, um, we're finding not enough uh, variation. So we've changed to flight time, which gives you a fraction of a second difference
0: yeah that's interesting so so we adopted um a, a, an approach a bit more similar to the crush school. so it was actually a pen test so um in in a kind of round yard setting uh winners were all or, or animals that had been handled but weren't um were kind of older cattle were introduced Three at a time into a pen with one person standing there in the same position, and then they were scored on a one to five basis. One being, you know, um, doughy potty calf, basically, and five being it's it's just dangerous to be in there. Um, this approach was taken to, because it was it was where we wanted to judge the temperament. It generally. In yards that I've worked in, the temperament's always kind of seen in the seen in the back of the yards, and that's where the most injuries happen. Um, and an animal that can be really fierce in the back of the yards can, has can sometimes just be absolutely, uh, you know, stunned with fear in the crash and stay completely still. Um, so, that was the reason why we, we adopted that um, and we yet to, I think we, Ben will be rolling out genomic breeding values for that potentially over the next couple of months. So, it'll be really interesting to see the results of that and, and how much diversity we got in that data set.
1: So, we're sort of measuring, there's different psychological disorders, do you think, in livestock?
0: So, Uh, what I'm I'm, saying
1: is, (laughs) they behave differently in different ways. (laughs) uh, Can I just delve into the temperament a bit? Because it's pretty neat, really, that you can um, give an animal a score from one to five in the crush or the pen score. Is your pen score for one to five? Yes, yep. It's pretty neat that you can do that. And um, the the calves that are sired by particular animals behave uh, differently. Um, and that's the way you do it. You basically look at the whole population, and then have a look at who its parents are. And some animals, the bad, the better behaved animals, are often related to the, to have the same sort of parenty, parental, sorry, parental relationship.
0: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. No. It's it's pretty interesting, and um, I think there's always said to be like links to fertility, but I believe that's um, that's untrue. Um, but temperament is, is highly heritable. Um, and it's, it's far more complex than, I guess, putting any kind of score of one to five on it, which is, which is why it's important to have a number of different measurements um, and to select for it. But it's good to know that you can improve it with genetic selection.
1: And, and also, and this is sort of this particular method of using quantitative genetics to improve a trait like um, temperament, If you didn't use uh, analysis to do it you would just be culling out constantly culling out all the wild animals if you were trying to improve it Um, and you wouldn't necessarily be culling them out on genotype you'd be culling them out on their phenotypic behavior which could be something as a result of bad handling or something like that Um, where and and also in the quantitative sense you can then Find out which animals or which relationships in the herd um, are very, very quiet, and concentrate on picking and choosing those genetics to come back into the herd to even suppress the the docility of the animal even further.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I believe that was with with Ben's focus on on fertility and temperament traits. It is they're traits that are really hard to measure. Um, because they rely on a number of measurements over time. Um, and so that was one of the main motivators for making that the base of this genomic test is that this is something that that people generally get wrong because they take a single point in time and make a color keep decision when it really has to be interpreted in in light of all the data. And that's sometimes not possible. So being able to make a genomic test for it in order to predict how an animal would behave is an ideal situation.
1: You were the Xander McDonald Award winner. How how have you found um, the process of being involved in the Xander and the PPP?
0: Yeah, Tom, it was absolutely incredible. Um, Definitely one of the most pivotal and life-changing events i've been through um right from the the beginning of the process where um i was selected to be interviewed and i was i was actually interviewed um and questioned by you you served me some pretty nasty nasty questions and um curly balls but from what i remember um but that was fan- that was fantastic, even just meeting that selection committee, and then going on to the Triple P conference, which was in Port Douglas the year that Luke and I won, um, was was fantastic. Getting to know everybody in that room, you without a doubt, all three of us walked away feeling like winners without even knowing who the winner was. And so that final night where Luke and I were announced as co-winners was just amazing. And from there, it honestly hasn't stopped. Um, I talk to somebody from the Triple P community every single day, without a doubt, Um, whether that be to check in on them, to get advice from them as a mentoring experience, to try and tease something up. um, There's definitely somebody I call every single day. And it's just such an incredible network that I definitely wouldn't have exposure to otherwise. So just having those people as contacts that are willing to help you and progress your career is, is sensational and, and something that I feel is fairly unique. Um, normally, you have to offer a pretty serious value proposition of what you will do for them in order for somebody to help you. But it's, it's a really selfless community there um so that was that was incredible and that was even before we got on our tailored mentoring trip that took us around New Zealand and Australia um to see you know everything from um From really intensive uh, lamb, well, lamb pro at Holbrook, and and intensive lamb recording, uh, to dairies, to extensive, well, what what New Zealand calls extensive agriculture, which is a bit different to Australia's extensive agriculture, um, to Maori run corporations and a, a, a salad factory, it was it was just sensational.
1: So what would you have to say to someone who has had their pen poised and they had some doubts about signing up, someone eligible, signing up to the Xander McDonald Award to, to see whether they could um, get involved in nominating?
0: I would say just just do it because I know the people that are involved in every single step of the process and just applying for it, Um you, look, you can learn so much. Every, everybody, every applicant gets full feedback on their application and everybody's really interested in seeing how we can, uh, you know, foster these relationships, mentor people and nurture new leaders within the ag industry.
1: And I'd like to say if, um, for those uneligible, um, if you know of someone that is, mentor them and encourage them to sign up for the Zanna McDonald Award. It's um, quite an exciting thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that that's exactly how I heard about it, it was Bim Struss, who was coming back from New Zealand um, after Thomas MacDonald was crowned and um, said, you know, you should really have a crack at it. I'd be happy to back you. And um, that's really where I got the confidence to go, okay, um, sounds, sounds like an awesome opportunity. Not sure whether I could have a hope in hell of getting through but I'll, I'll put my hat in the hat in the ring
1: and moving along the Xander McDonald Awards have given rise I suppose in some ways to um, black box which is what you're doing now
0: yeah absolutely so I believe I, I I don't know black box had been swirling around in the back of my mind for a fair while but it was it was only after winning the Xander McDonald award that I thought well you know I'm in this room mm-hmm. With all these incredible people who have built empires, um, and so anything seems possible when you're when you're sitting next to those people, um, and so I just started testing the idea out on on my trip. So we took our first trip down to Orange, and I met with a couple of people there and said, you know, um, as. As a, as a data analysis and data platform, I said, you know, as producers would, is this something you need? Um, and I showed them a really rough mock-up on my computer and they said, absolutely. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later I had a USB with over 500 files on it. Um, and then similarly on the other end, I knew that it could be utilized by industry for, you know, genomic prediction and that there was this massive data out there that wasn't being well used Within people's own businesses, let alone being able to translate up and down the supply chain and across the supply chain. And from the genomics project, I realized how important it is to have a look at information or data points on mass. And as a whole of industry analysis, in you know, order that's where you reach a critical mass and you get some really amazing insights like genomic prediction or, you know, epidemiological tracking of disease. So it's it's really important to have a, you know, a centralized database that where all this data that is collected can be collated and used to form really powerful analysis within business, but also within the industry.
1: So, I mean, what is it? Because, uh, um, you know, I'm getting on a bit. We have, uh, we do a little bit with individual animal records and um, and collect carcasses and relate that back to gene, um, to in, put it into the genetic analysis of breed plan. Uh, it, it, it's I'm having a little bit of trouble understanding what um, the black bo- what black box is and what um, particular software as a solution uh, I it's not blockchain is it because no I know I'm only joking because I've had jock blockchain explained to me I think about five times and I've decided now just to nod when someone talks about <laughs> blockchain. Um, so could you, can you give me a, a dummy's version of what you're actually doing
0: yeah, no worries. Um, well, I'm sure you don't need the dummies version, but uh, basically c- data is collected throughout the whole supply chain. So as you know, from, from breeding, backgrounding, feedlot, and um, carcass data is kind of the vertical integration of data up and down the supply chain. And then there's also lots of ancillary data that's collected, be that genomic information and genomic profiles and traits or smart tags or walkover weighing systems or nutritional information, that sort of thing. So there's this massive data and it's very difficult for those data points to speak to each other and start to inform each other. For example, if I'm a breeding operation and I sell my animals into a feedlot, it's very difficult for me to extract any information that is usable for me to guide how my animals performed in that feedlot. And that's really what I was seeing with the genomics project. I would talk to people about their breeding objectives and they would sell, say, well, I want an animal that performs well in the feedlot. But unless you've got any data coming back, then you've got no way of, informing your breeding objectives and selecting the right animals. So it was about having this freedom of information flow throughout the beef industry and combining those information points together in order to be able to maximize the profit potential at each point in the supply chain. So, from a breeding perspective, you can select your an- select the right animals, and then also manage them the right way. So, a lot of companies that we're working with are looking at the ideal weaning weights to bring them from their breeding operations down to their backgrounding operations, or what time of year is their best weaning, uh, their best weight gain? Animals coming from what mm-hmm. genetics should they be using? That sort of thing. Um, right down through to a feed feedlots, looking at um, where they should buy their animals from, um, how those animals should best enter feeding strategies. You know, a sixty day, hundred day long fed that sort of thing, mm-hmm. and then also from the carcass point of view, having drilling down into those discounts and that grading system to have a look at where was this money lost and why was it lost. So with one particular pastoral company, we identified $760,000 of carcass discounts over a two-year period that could have otherwise been avoided. And all this information is out there and, um, you know, somebody can tirelessly try and tie it all together and track down these sources but it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of skill and by the time you do all of that often you'll end up with such a big data file that you can't run it on and you know on your computer so that's why we've created this cloud based solution with interactive dashboards so you can see exactly where you lost that money and why or how your breeding animals are performing and how that changed from year to year or if you own a number of properties, how those animals are performing and do internal benchmarking. Does that explain it, Tom?
1: That is perfect and it sounds fantastic. That's the sort of thing that the beef industry needs and um, and, and we look forward to seeing um, that causing effect and particularly uh, obviously it it will change people's direction a little bit in the way they're heading with genetics and solutions for improving their profitability i think off air i might get you to give the sixth attempt to try and explain blockchain to me perhaps because that was well done <laughs> um so, no worries though so, um what what's some of the threats to our beef industry um the, in your thoughts in your views
0: yeah, well, I think one that is is hard to ignore at the moment is is the attention on climate change and environmental impact, um, and whether we like it or not, um, we have been tarnished with the brush of being, you know, contributors to greenhouse gases um, with the methane emitters that we we produce, um, and I I kind of think that. Instead of saying, "Oh well, look at the transport industry, or you know, look at the mining industry—they're far worse." I don't think that's the right approach to have for agriculture or cattle in general. You know, in the beef industry, we've got to continuously look to improve. Um, and I think one of the one of the things we're seeing is people looking to turn away from our product. Or I, I know you you've had a had a recent chat about the whole um, lab grown meat. And although that might not be a big market, now technology will improve and cost price will come down and there's a significant amount of investment in there which means that there's obviously enough concern about how we currently raise beef in order, um, in order to fund those big companies that are, that are doing it an alternative way. Um, so I think we very much have to think about our, our own story, um, how we're portrayed, but most importantly, improve it and back ourselves up. You know, if we're saying we're not as bad as the, as the data is representing, then we need to come up with data Mm. and prove that we are doing the right thing.
1: Yeah, no, you're right. And, um, it's a, some of it's a perception issue and some of it is actual fact that we need to get off, um get off our backsides and, and sort out environmental concerns that are real. But there, are, there is a fair portion of um, public sentiment that needs to be, is, has an education um, element to it. Um, you know, I often think about years and years ago when the environment debate first came out, that um, it was said that we all should be building steel houses. Um, and that was so that the forests wouldn't get cut down. But we now know that it's actually better to cut the forest down and replant the forest and build houses out of wood. Uh, but it, the, the perception in the, in, the, in the community initially was um, incorrect and it's now been turned around. I think that's going to happen a fair bit with beef too, um, blaming an, an animal that lives in an ecosystem um, and is part of a carbon cycle. Uh, the, the numbers don't quite stack up. Uh, and, yeah you know but on the other hand, we do need to do up our, our share of where um what is wrong in that in that debate as well
0: yeah, and i I guess I'm focusing on how does that perception is it just a matter of waiting it out, and that perception shift will naturally change, or um I believe in arming arming ourselves with the facts, and it's not enough to you know just put up um, some good marketing campaigns full of green grass and happy cows. We have to show people that we we're, we're being proactive about this, and that that we these are the facts, and this is this is how Australian beef is produced, and this mm. is where we're standing.
1: Yep, no, that's a, that's absolutely education requires um, facts. And I think in the absence of facts, people are assuming, and that's, um, that's not safe either. But uh, F- Professor Frank is coming out to Beef Australia, he's got a very interesting story about um, c- climate, atmosphere, and beef. So um, we look, look uh, forward to hearing some of the articles that come out of those seminars at Beef. Um,
0: yeah, that'd be great.
1: What, do, what place does technology have in agriculture?
0: Yeah, well, I really feel like um, ag tech has been a sector that's definitely boomed over the last few years um, and has seen an increasing amount of investment um, from, you know, Silicon Valley style funds that are kind of coming over and wanting to – to marry together the new age technology with a very old industry like agriculture, um, and I think the beef industry has has been a, a slower adopter of of innovation and tech in general um, when compared with cropping industries. Um, but I, I don't think that has necessarily done us um, done us done us poorly over time. Um, there's a lot of innovation that comes out that I think has been driven from a technology standpoint as opposed to an improving agriculture standpoint. And so a lot of the remote monitoring systems and whatnot um, have been interesting because I, I'm not sure, especially in Northern Australia, where every, where there's still so many connectivity issues, where, where people will be able to trust technology rather than actually seeing it for themselves. Um, I'm not sure if you've got something to comment on that, Tom, um, with how much remote monitoring you guys do, or if you do any.
1: Well, we're just starting. Um, we've just committed to putting um, heat time on all of our heifers to get their first uh, heat and uh, and their first heat after calving. Um, and so we... Uh, in the process of uh, having some trailers built for mobile um, connectivity. Uh, Elon Musk's working pretty hard on that with his Starling project though. Um, I don't know how long <laughs> that's going to take, but if you're around what he's doing with Starling, it's a... Um,
0: yes, yeah. Our um, our CTO, Jeffrey Donaldson, has been pushing me pretty hard to, hard to get onto that because um, we're on MBN and it seems to kind of drop in and out, but... I think these are all problems that will definitely be solved with the use of technology and and farming might look pretty different in the future. Um, Certainly from a black box standpoint, all of these Internet of Things devices um, are generating more and more data and and we're aiming to put this all into a a usable platform so that it's simple at the end of the day and doesn't, doesn't confuse the farmer and actually it takes away from the burden of where where they're spending their time. Um, a lot of the producers we're working with don't want to spend any more time in the office, and and that was the whole point of our platform. and And a lot of these ag tech platforms are working towards um, getting farmers to use their time in the best way that's most valuable to them, whether that be driving around um, and planning planning changes in infrastructure, or having a look at animals or being able to spend more time with their family because we all know that every farmer's pretty time poor.
1: Yeah, the Internet of Things really is just around the corner. 5G is incorporating Internet of Things and Internet of Things is about um, being able to have an IP for a piece of equipment that doesn't need a SIM card. It actually connects Wi-Fi to all the towers around and it does it at a very low frequency, it's very small amounts of data. But it means that farmers will be able to do things like put electric fence testers in locations all over the farm and have be able to look them up on their phone, water pressure, water flow, those sorts of things. But the heat time collar or uh, motion sensing collars, they could be really significant in the north in genetic gain um, because they can give you car, um, birth date if a cow's got one around its neck for $100. Um, or something like that, you know, it can give you birth date uh, and it can give you the, the heat cycle, the, all the heats of those cows. So if it, there's a cows out there that aren't having heats at all, um, you know what happens to them next time they come through the yards.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty incredible. I think one of the focuses in definitely in the beef industry has to be um, on making this technology affordable um, because – uh, definitely here in the north, we are, we are playing a fairly commodity game in terms of cattle prices, and they, they're exceptional at the moment, um, but it wasn't too long ago that they were a lot lower. And so it's really making that value proposition really strong for the farmer and making it consistent over time. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of the beef industry fought really hard against NLIS tags um and now thankfully their mainstay and that's what that's what we at blackblocks leverage off that platform in order to be able to use and store data um but i think we've got to remember that yeah potentially with a hundred dollar tags um or or collars around heifers that that's that's not going to be widely adopted no. at that price
1: no it's not going to be at widely least not a- now. it's not going to be widely adopted by commercial people but um, definitely seed stock There'll be uh, a, quite a percentage of seed stock will, which who will see the value in being able to increase their fertility through using it. And there's also things like uh, there's animal health um, measures in in motion sensing tags too now. And the more we use them, the more data we'll get. So it's quite a new, exciting um, idea. And the cost, of course, the costs are going to come down. You know. Um, the flat screen TV. It'll be just a flat screen TV example of um, going from being worth ten thousand dollars to a thousand dollars in virtually no time at all.
0: Exactly. Or um, I guess genomics has gone a similar way, hasn't it? It was it used to be incredibly expensive, and, and now it's it's quite affordable.
1: Well, there's um, you know there's talk about the possibility of even DNA testing every single animal that leaves Australian shores or every single carcass. Um, so, you know, those sorts of thoughts are coming around and all you have to do is lower the price because e, e, uh, in the EU, the UK and France are both looking into DNA testing every single carcass that leaves their shores. So yeah. um, um, as the price comes down, the, the value proposition for their um, their national beef industry to do that will come come into fruition. So,
0: yeah, I... Th- I- I believe without a doubt that in terms of lifting Australian productivity within agriculture in general, we'll rely on technology in the future, Um, both technology advances in the way of what we've been talking about and data collection to remote monitoring to also being able to guide R&D methods. Um, You know, that's, that's what a lot of the cropping guys are doing, it's relying on this information To come up with the next generation of crops that they're using and i guess a similar um tactic can be applied for the beef industry in terms of selecting more productive genetics
1: shannon i'd like to see a time where you know farmers are opening their mla account one of the one of the bits of data that jumps out at them when they open it is their uh the mean genotype of their herd you know these sorts of things are possible um if we can get all the Databases joined together and functioning properly. Um, start to harvest genetic information out on commercial herds. That's it is all possible, it's, um, but it's going to take a lot of um, committee meetings, I suppose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, well, hopefully, Blackbox will be part of that and yeah. um, tying together the information and, and cutting down the walls where we can. <sighs>
1: So we're getting to the end of the podcast. Before we finish, though, I'd like to know what your mistakes and your masterpieces and your mentors are. Um, what what mistakes have you made, Shannon?
0: Um, well, many. Um, I think it's hard to summarize them. I think um, a mistake that I'm continuously making and um, continuously trying to learn from is um, is not is. T- talking too much basically and just learning to listen i work with the most fantastic team in black box um and they know i mean emma my co-founder knows far more about the beef industry than me um and the tech guys know just the capacity of where we can take the technology that we're leveraging um and so i really need to sit back and, and let them problem solve rather than trying to jump in all the time and i think that's That's something that I learned at the start trying to think that I could, um, you know, run black box all from my laptop locally um, and very quickly realised as soon as my computer kept on shutting down um, that this problem was far bigger than just myself and we needed to bring other people in.
1: Well, Shannon, um, you know, usually the, you reserve advice for people to not talk too much when they haven't got much to say, really. But you have got plenty to say, so don't be quiet. Don't be too quiet.
0: Oh, I, I don't think that's a risk, Tom. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> okay. what, if, what about masterpieces?
0: Oh, well, with masterpieces, oh, I, I'd have to say my two boys, um, Fred and Russell. I mean, they are complete mongrels, don't get me wrong. Um, some days I'm in the midst of like putting an ad up on Gumtree, trying to sell them. Um, <laughs> but as as you'd know, you know, your, your genetics and your offspring are, are your legacy, whether you like it or not, um, and will far outlive hopefully you and every and probably everything you do you know in future generations um so yeah feel fairly happy with how they got their tracking so far
1: excellent and mentors that you've met Um, or or,
0: yeah some um,
1: some people struggle with this because your generation tends to have official mentors and that my generation just has people that they've bumped into that they've remembered so there's sort of a slightly two different definition, definitions. You can use whichever one or both.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I think I have, I don't have any official mentors, but I, I have so many unofficial. And I think one of the ones that has been most influential more recently is um, Emma Black, who's my co-founder and was the inaugural winner of the Xander McDonald Award. Um, she has really shaped um what black box is and how i've perceived the industry and and had takes on it and um she's a mother herself of two young boys and just how she effortlessly strides through that and gets on with everything has has really been um fantastic to look up to her as a role model um and so yeah she's she's probably one of my main mentors at the moment
1: Thank you, Shannon, for coming on to RORAG today. I wish you best of luck with Black Box. It's um, an exciting innovation which the beef industry has been without. Um, many other industries would have similar things, I suppose, to Black Box analysis of um, how their products. So, best of luck with it and thank you for coming in today.
0: Thank you, Tom. If you're enjoying the RORAG podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favourite podcast app.